good to be with you. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. For those who are in children's church up through grade four, you can be dismissed at this time to the back. Uh, Amy and some of your teachers will lead you down there. As I'm sure you're doing, continue to keep those who are being impacted by the hurricane in your prayer. As you know, I pastored down in South Florida in Homestead for many years, and uh, there are still many, many dear people to us down there who are suffering. If you have not been through a hurricane or not have to prepare for one or in the aftermath, uh, it is beyond your, it's probably beyond your comprehension until you get to do that one time to look around and see what damage can be done there. Uh, DJ uh, Parker, many of you know him, went on to ministry in North Carolina. His, his uh, family actually lives in Key West. Uh, they have evacuated up to Orlando, and as I looked at the radar early this morning as I first got up, the eyewall was right on Key West. And if you've been there, you know I think the highest point in the entire island, uh, geographic or top topography-wise, is about six feet. And so it's easily, it's easily possible the whole island was overwashed with tidal surge, and so you can just imagine the damage that is done there to people's things. And it, that's when, you know, as we uh, have done many ministry trips to, trips to help uh, hurricane uh, uh, victims, Hurricane Katrina particularly, as we took our church from New York there to work, uh, you realize that, um, as Jesus told, told you in Matthew 6, your life is not summed up by the things you have, is it? He asked the question. And uh, the answer then is really, is really uh, foundational as you go through something like that. No, my life is not summed up in the things that I possess. And so because you end up, when you go down to help, you shovel everybody's life stuff out of everybody else's houses and you pile it at the street and a big crane comes along and picks it up and takes it to the trash. And so your life is summed up by what the Lord has provided and that if, as Paul said, if we have uh, clothing and, and shelter, we have, uh, we, that's sufficient, right? And we can say at that point, yes, it can be if we're not wrapped up in our things. And so I think it's a good segue into uh, where we've been talking. So keep them in your prayers, if you would. And we will, as the deacons know, we have we've put out feelers to go as a ministry team to help from, from Berea. And we're waiting for some responses back to work through a church in that area so that we can minister in the name of Christ in a local church in that community so they can follow up later and, uh, and in the name of the Lord and, and, and give them the gospel. So our desire is to do that if we can, so we'll keep you posted as, as we uh, are connected with um, some of those contacts. So if you would look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and over the last two weeks, we have worked our way through the first four verses of 1 Corinthians 16, and the opening four verses really sum up Paul's instruction uh, to uh, the church here concerning uh, the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Let's read verse four, first four verses together, if you would, and then we'll uh, do some co uh, comment on some of those things. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, so Paul's very clear. Uh, as he says, now concerning, he's referring, of course, to questions they've asked, and we've seen that numerous times as we've worked our way through this letter. When you say now concerning, he's referring to something that was questioned him of him, whether it was in writing or whether it was orally. Uh, he's addressing something that was a question at the church. They want to know what's going on. Titus, we saw, had come earlier and begun a collection for the needy in Jerusalem. And so, and they had fallen off because there had been a lot of disunity in some things. And so Paul says, listen, concerning this gift, this question you had about this collection for the saints, he says, I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Verse 3. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Verse 4, and if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Now, we looked at Romans chapter 15, and we saw that Paul did go, and that it was fitting, and a lot of people came with the churches. So we looked at all of this. Uh, we understand that in Romans 15, you can kind of look back and see all of the, all of the res churches responded as Paul had hoped that they would and had instructed them to respond. And so we saw that as a package. Now, as we saw, overall, this, this passage is speaking about meeting the needs of those within the church. And that's not to exclude those outside the church, and certainly ministry trips after hurricanes and those kinds of things. We not only minister to those inside the church, we minister to those outside the church. However, the main, the main uh, focus for the church is to minister to those inside the church first, take care of the needs of the church. And of course, here, uh, it's speaking of a church that's not the local body, as he talks to the Galatians, as he talks to the Thessalonians, as he talks to the Corinthians. He's obviously uh, not talking about them taking care of their needs. That's obviously happening, otherwise there wouldn't be any opportunity for them to take care of other needs. So here is, it's the need at Jerusalem. And I think we've been able to see, though, also, as we've really kind of looked at this instruction, the general pattern for, or the standard, if you will, for all of New Testament giving can be found in some of these verses, particularly in, in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. 
we'll see later, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, give us the basic standard for all New Testament giving, help us to align ourselves and understand how it all works. And so the need here is that the Church of Jerusalem, it's the general standard for New Testament giving, and it's really summed up here because there's obviously been other instruction, and Paul uh, will give them further instruction in his next letter. But this is summed up, so there's lots of stuff left out. And now what we have seen so far, we've just titled Guidelines for Giving. And it's just really straightforward. And we a few of those guidelines, just to remind you, if you've not been with us. Number one, giving is the way the church's needs are met. And so, it, you know, as we, when people call the church, this happens quite often week by week, and ask us to help them with one thing or another. Uh, those inside the church are the ones we help first, and then there are some that we can help uh, that are outside the church. But uh, when we give them instructions, we just tell them. You know, people call a lot and just say, hey, can you help pay my rent? Can you help pay my electric bill or whatever? And so, you know, they called us, so they, they get some instruction that goes along with that. And I say, well, why did you call the church? Well, I just thought there'd be generous people there. And I say, well, you're right. Why do you think they're generous? Well, because, you know, they, they love God and they go to church. And that's, I appreciate that. I appreciate you observing the fact that, that Christian people are generous. However, you do know that we don't sell anything here. That's my first question to them. And it gets really quiet, usually on the other side or face-to-face. It's usually really very quiet. There's no profit margin which we take out this giving to give to you. Usually no response to that point, because they, they just want to, yes, I'll pay your rent. They don't want to, they don't want instruction. But the second thing I say is this. You realize that the people who are here don't use up all that they take in, so that there is a margin that they can use to give to someone who's in need. That's how that works. And then the way the New Testament model works is, when you have need, other people help meet it, and when then when they have need, you help meet it. That's how that works, see. And so that's, our, that's the kind of instruction I give to people because that's the basic of New Testament giving is you don't use up everything that you have and there's some margin that you have left and you're able to meet immediate need and you're able to set aside some to give and all those kinds of things. That comes from, first of all, and we haven't covered this yet, but not consuming everything that comes in. And so those are the kinds of instructions that we give. And so um, as we see this guideline for giving, we understand, number one, giving is the way the church's needs are met. That's how it happens. People give and the church's needs are met. Now, if you've not involved yourself in that, as we looked at some of the statistics a couple of weeks ago, then you may not realize that that's how that happens. But in general, 10 to 15% of the church make up uh, about 90 to 85% of the giving. Okay? And so just imagine, as I showed you last time, what would happen if everybody participated, which, as we see, um, is going to be our third point. But the second point here that we saw in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4 is giving normally occurs as part of worship. And so he says, you know, when you come together on the first day of every week, then put something aside and save it and give it. And so it happens as part of worship. We include it as part of worship. We move right straight from our musical worship right into worship and giving. It's all part of you offering back to God what already belongs to him anyway. And so it becomes part of that worship. Now, in the modern era, and of course here at Berean, you can give it anytime you'd like. You can go right online and you can just give, and that's how Laura and I do that. And we, we, you can set it aside and then you can go online and give, and that might make it easier to stay on track. So when you get paid, you can go online and give, and then you're not, you're not tempted to not set it aside, you're not tempted not to save it, and that can help. Uh, you can give certainly here, and that works as well. But uh, you can set it aside, you can give, but I still say that it is part of worship, which as we've seen also includes teaching and singing and testimonies and breaking bread together and all the things that the early New Testament did and we still do today. So we can see some historical equivalent as we look back at the New Testament church. Now, giving guideline number three contained in Paul's words, we just spoke about it. Each one of you, he says, on the first day of every week, verse two, look at your copy of God's word. Each one of you, very important, those four words is superlative. In other words, each and every one of you, and that's the intent for Paul. He could have said anything he wanted to, he could have said, if you have extra, make sure you give. You know, if you, if you have a lot, make sure you redistribute it. He could have said, you know, if, if it's possible that you can give, come and do it. He didn't say any of that. just said, listen, each and every one of you on the first day of the week, come and set some aside and save it and give it. Okay? So really straightforward, I think. The normal action of a believer, if you would. That's the action of a normal believer in Christ, not some upper echelon believer that now gives. It's just Paul says, each and every one of you, give. It's the normal action. And you, as a footnote, should tar- start teaching this early to your children. Your children bring in money, uh, perhaps from a birthday. They may do a little job. Or Our, our, student, our, our kids have always had uh, things that they do around the house, and, and they receive some, uh, some payment in exchange for that so they can learn how to work hard and learn how to be rewarded by those things. And then they, right away we taught them early that you, know, you give to God and you set some aside to save. 
And those are things that they learned. And we didn't give them a parameter on how much do you want to give to God. And, and beloved, one, one of the great things it is to watch your children give early in their life is when you say you give to God. Well, how much, Dad? Well, how much do you want to give to him? Just give to him out of the joy of your heart of giving. And, you, you know, maybe they made 10 bucks. Maybe you've had this experience. They made 10 bucks, and, and so they'll go, and, and I'll just let them take care of it. And maybe a couple days later, I'll say, so did you give to God out of what you had? Yeah. How much did you give to God? Five bucks. Fantastic, son. That's great. You gave him five bucks. But you know why that's fantastic? Because we've already looked at some of those passages. Because whatever measure you use, what's the rest of it, beloved? That's the measure he uses, right? Except he presses it down, shakes it together, and overflows in your lap. And so they just learn that early on, that if you're generous, uh, the Lord's generous. And that's not a bad thing to learn. And so we teach those early. You should be teaching these things early to your children. It's not too early for them to learn. If they are making money, they're bringing money in, this is the way you teach them. So Paul gave some instruction, then very informative, on the way that giving, uh, the process is to be done. And this next verse, verse 2, look there if you would. And this really helps us kind of put together that whole package. Uh, verse 2, on the first day of every week, he says, each one of you, uh, and so we saw that superlative, each and every one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. Now, that put aside and save is very important. And that gave us guideline number four. We are, according to Paul, to intentionally identify an amount to give and take it out of circulation. That's what it means to put aside. That's the idea in the Greek, to set it aside so it's no longer in circulation. You're not going to use it anymore. You're setting it aside to be used for a specific purpose. Paul says set it aside, take it out of circulation, and then store it up or accumulate it. That's and save. So set it aside, put it in, and that's an agrarian term for kind of putting it in the barn or storing it up in a silo. You're saving it for the collection. So Paul just gives some very basic instructions. Obviously, some, a lot of background there, right? Because there can be some confusion about how that should work. And we're going to look at that today. But what this does is, this puts the brain in action. Because Paul wants you, first of all, to identify the need, and then the reaction would be, how can I meet it? So it puts the brain in action, rational thought, evaluation of the need, and your ability to meet it. So it's not an emotional response. You know, if you've, if you've been burdened by that over your life, understand we'll never do that here because that is not the pattern either from 1 Corinthians 16 or from 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 where people are, are emotionally burdened to give and pass in the plate again and give more and all that kinds of things. Listen, there's, there's deliberate thought. The Lord wants your mind involved because the only way you can be a cheerful giver is because you thought it through and you thought, okay, I'm going to be generous and I'm going to be sacrificial and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to give this and I'm happy to do it. It's a joy for me. As we saw, as we condition our thoughts around this and our feelings, it's a joy for me to do it. We saw that last time. And then he says, each is to do it on this basis, as he may prosper. Now, Paul could have said anything he wanted to say here, right? He could have said, I want you to take out 10%, and that's what I want you to give. I want you to do the calculations, and exactly 10% of your income needs to go here. He doesn't say that. What's he say? It's based on how you prosper. Now, for some of you, that's going to be a lot some weeks, a little some weeks, just kind of varies. Others used to be very, sta very stable along the way. And so you're just deciding, okay, this is how I prospered. This is what I brought in. And, this, and from that basis, you give. And that's guideline number five that we saw last time. What you give is based on what the Lord has given you. And here's the deal. Then it becomes God's measuring rod for your generosity. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. You, you, know, you can see the idea expressed here in verse 3. You know, New Testament giving is in proportion to what you have earned. So it comes from then a candid, truthful, upfront evaluation of how you've been blessed. Whatever that is, that becomes the basis for which you set it aside, take it out of circulation, you save it, and you give it. Okay? Now, we looked at some ways really to shape our feelings on that, and we just kind of took a, a brief survey, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we're going to go and just really break that down. There's so much there that we'll need to look at. We won't do it now. But anyway, as we shape our feelings about that, because obviously, if you've not been taught this, or if you've come into your Christian life and nobody's discipled you, and you don't understand that everything you have belongs to God, then this may not elicit the feelings that Scripture associates with generous sacrificial giving, which is joy and cheerfulness and generosity and all those kinds of things. See, And so we saw how we can condition our feelings because the Lord works on our feelings in all kinds of areas, doesn't he? In obedience, we, he wants us to obey because we love him, not because we're worried that he's going to chasten us. Kind of like our kids. We start off when our kids are little, and they obey. And if they don't obey, there are painful consequences for that. Not because we don't like our kids, because we love them. And because that's how life is, too. And because that's how the Lord deals with us. But when they begin to get older, we want them to respond to us in obedience. Why? Because they love us. But at the basis of all that is what? That, that 
foundational, we're going to deal with your sin in this way. And that's how we deal with the Lord, right? I mean, we come into his presence with joy and we worship him and we did that this morning, I hope. And you just have just a wonderful relationship with him because it's based on love. But at the bottom of all that is what? An understanding that God has the right to deal with yours and my sin any way he chooses. And we prefer that he not have to do that, right? But we grow in our relationship with him until we respond in joy. And that's kind of how that works here. And so feelings can be, can be shaped, and we saw how those feelings are to be shaped. And, uh, you know, the bottom line is that uh, giving's not supposed to be seen as a duty. It's not supposed to be seen as a response to pressure, but an open-handed, generous, sacrificial way of giving back part of what God's been give, given to you. It's including joy and cheerfulness and confidence and generosity and not clouded by any fear. And so we saw all of that last time, so we won't go through that again. Now, it may come as a surprise to you, perhaps not, that there are quite a few people who figured this out, and some of them are pretty famous. In fact, Henry Crawwell, founder of Quaker Oats, he's a guy who understood this early, a significant contributor to the work of Moody Bible Institute, a young man, he received Christ as a savior uh, when he began his business career in a little Ohio factory. He promised God he would begin to honor him with his business practices and his giving, and that's what he did. And so uh, God's blessing was upon him, and as his business grew, he said, he just increased his giving, and he said, quote, after more than 40 years of giving, 60% of his income to God, he testified, I've never gotten ahead of God. He's always been ahead of me in giving, end quote. He figured it out, didn't he? And he understood that God uses the same measure, and then he presses it down, shakes it together, and that's pretty good for cereal company, right? Because that's not what we see in the box, of, you know, in the store. Uh, that's not how it comes to us, does it? It's about half full at best, all right? You're like, what? Especially when you have four boys and, all, and they eat tons of cereals, like, it's not going to last. It's about three meals, that's it, you know, three breakfasts. So he understood that early on. John D. Rockefeller Sr. Now, understandably, uh, that wealth is passed into other unrighteous hands, but Sr., said this, quote, I have given out of every dollar God has entrusted to me, and I want to say this, if I had not given from the first dollar I made, I would not have given from the first million dollars I made. And that's pretty true, isn't it? It's not how much you have, it's how you feel about what you have, isn't it? The question is, if I had not, if I had more, I'd give more. The, the thing is, what are you doing with what you have now? See? And so he understood that. J.L. Craft, that's a familiar term to you, right? A name? said this, quote, the only investments I ever made which have paid con constantly increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. And it is noted here that for many years he gave away 25% of his income. He just established that that's what he was going to give with joy. And he wasn't, he, he wasn't worried about it because he understood these principles. And so there are many others. And, and I like to think there are many millions more of believers who are in churches all across the world and who have been in every age uh, have given this way, and we don't know, do we? Because it's in proportion to how you've been blessed, and the Lord, is that's how he evaluates it, and when it comes right down to it, someday in glory, we'll be able to see all the investment they made in money bags that don't wear out. We don't know right now, do we? You don't know what people are doing. But the fact of the matter is, that's how the Lord works. People have understood that. If you hadn't understood that, then this is the time you can begin to grow in your relationship with the Lord in this way, okay? And so that's why we're going through it. Now, obviously, this passage, after you get to verse 4, it's going to move on, and it's going to take in Paul's itinerary and some important instructions for the church, but based on some inquiry on your part and some questions that you've had, we're not going to go there just yet. There's a large amount of understanding that is implied in Paul's statements, and it, it always concerns me that in this abbreviated type of teaching here, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-4, that we give out the actual teaching of what the Word of God says without the understanding that the New Testament church there had and the extra teaching Paul obviously gave them as he was there with them in Corinth. And so that we come away with kind of a skewed approach to how we're supposed to give. Maybe you didn't understand or maybe I wasn't clear. And so I want to take some time because some questions have come in. I want to make sure that we cover some things. And then when we get to 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we'll take more time and cover, up, uh, cover a lot more background because it lends itself more to an understanding of, of where everything comes from and, and some of those things. But just for the next week or two, I want to address some of the most common questions that we get over and over again based on, now here's the thing, on an experience that is different than what we see in the New Testament. So in other words, people see, okay, you know, the Lord uses the same measure back to you, shaking, pressed together, pouring over in your lap. Or, you know, that the Lord takes care of those who give and makes sure they have other, uh, more to give when they, when they don't have it. And, and so that may not be your experience. And, and you may say something like, you know, I understand, you know, that this is what 
um, the Word of God says, but this is not how I've experienced it, perhaps. And so these next couple messages are in that light. That hasn't been your experience. Not that it isn't true, and you wouldn't say that this is not true. It's just that that's not been how I've experienced it or how, what's happened in my life. And so these, these are for you. I'd like you to turn, if you would, you can hold your finger here, but to Proverbs 22. Will you turn there? We're going to be in Proverbs a little bit. And I've told you before, in Proverbs, of course, you have uh, really things that deal with life and conduct. And they're inspired words from the, from the Lord, and so we take them that way. And, of course, I've told you before, anything that deals in the scripture with money, I just use a green highlighter so that as I go through, I can see, oh, okay, this deals with money, maybe where money comes from, you know, how, how the Lord does it, you know, all those kinds of things. And so these are areas where you may find that this is helpful to you. But turn to Proverbs chapter 24. I want to read verses 1 through 4, and uh, I want you to, uh, uh, to look at this and maybe think about how this works, and then we'll go on into some of the questions that have come in and just kind of deal with them uh, step by step. So... Proverbs 22, 1, 22, verse 1. I don't know if I said 24, but Proverbs 22, verse 1 says this. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. Stop right there. We're going to do all four verses. I don't want to stop right there. Now, according to the Lord, keeping your integrity is more valuable than great material wealth. True? I mean, that's what he just said, right? A good name is more to be desired than great wealth. And favor, which is the Hebrew word for grace, or if you will, being a recipient of grace, seems to be the writer's intent. So a good name is more desired than wealth, and being the recipient of grace is better than both silver and gold. Now, just by simple observation, there, these would not appear to be the guiding principles for the unredeemed. True? I mean, in a, in a study that just came out last year, polled a thousand people asking them some questions on what they would do for money. So a thousand people polled, what would you do for money? So for a thousand bucks, 15% of people in that thousand people poll would be willing to shoplift or bet on a fixed sporting event. So 15% for a thousand bucks. So free money, if you'll do those things, 15%, yes, I will. For $10,000, one in five. 20% are willing to steal a street sign or shoplift for $10,000. They'll go and do it if they are guaranteed the 10 grand. And one in 10 are willing to lie under oath, steal a bike, or knowingly spend counterfeit cash for 10 grand. For $100,000, 25% of the thousand that were polled are willing to, to uh, forge a signature or steal from a restaurant or hotel and for the same amount, one in ten say they would evade taxes or snatch a purse on the street if they were guaranteed that money. The most startling stat that I read, and there were tons of them, was that 6% of people out of that thousand and 12% of men said they would be willing to commit murder for $1 billion. While one in ten would be willing to commit arson, treason, armed robbery, or mug someone with a weapon, or even assist in a suicide for the same amount of money. Now, who knows where they pulled that from? Probably from CNN's audience, right? I don't know. Of course, we're familiar with numerous TV shows throughout the years that offer all kinds of cash for, you know, to convince people to do something embarrassing or to eat something revolting. Okay, so we're, we understand this, okay? And, and I'm not trying to super spiritualize it. I just, this is just a poll that came out. It, it came up in my research, so I just want to give it to you. But Obviously, though, I think it's easy, to, it's easy enough to say that the unredeemed don't appear to know these important points. What would be really sad is if the church didn't understand that, okay? If the church didn't understand that a good name is more to be desired than great wealth and favor better than silver and gold, okay? The church would certainly understand that, but it's not a surprise that the unredeemed don't understand that. Now, the writer goes on to say, look at verse 2. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. Now, we saw this last time. Okay, that's something we've looked at before today, and it's just this. How we prosper is ultimately from the Lord, because it all belongs to him. And we saw that last time, right? All the earth is the Lord's, the cattle on a thousand years, uh, on a thousand hills, all the silver and gold and all the mines, that all belongs to the Lord. We saw that, so obviously, uh, the Lord is the one who determines how you'll prosper. It always comes from the Lord, and so the rich and poor have a common bond. The Lord's the maker of them all. In his sovereignty, he gives, or he withholds, or whatever it is, for whatever reason, Okay. 
Verse 3. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. And so discernment is an important uh, principle in the day-to-day life, uh, of course, and the lack of it leads to harm. And then this next observation, which is the reason why I wanted to look at this passage, uh, is verse 4. It says, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Read it again. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Now, it's not prosperity theology. It just is what it is, okay? This is an observation from the Lord. This is a, a passage that comes to those who read. There are thousands of them, okay? And it's just a simple observation. We haven't, it's not the first time we've seen passages like this. They're everywhere. And I think we can see by now that it's God's desire for those that are his to supply for their needs. Now, it might not be overly supplied, okay? It's not his desire that you be wealthy. It's not his desire that you be healthy. He may have plans for you. You may be like Job. You may be making a heavenly point, and you don't even know it. You may be going through a difficult time, and the Lord's proven a point to Satan and his demons. Or someone else is watching you, and you're having a hard time in your health, or you're having a hard time with, with finances, and you're honoring the Lord with those things. And that may, the Lord just may be doing that so he can make a heavenly point. Or so he can point to you and say, see, they glorify me regardless. See, so I'm not saying that this is, it's the Lord's will for everybody to be wealthy. It's the Lord's will. It's not. And the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord's the maker of them all. He gives in proportion to his own will and his own desire. Okay? So we're not saying that it's anything uh, that it's not. But I think we can see by now, in general, it's God's desire that those to, for those who are his to supply for their needs, to provide for their future, and certainly our future is secure, our true future, right? And to provide so they can abundantly share, like we saw last week, whatever it is, at whatever level it is, however you prospered, you know, the Lord has provided so you can share. And God's not against any of those things. We saw as his people came into a land where they didn't build any of the houses and they didn't plant any of the fields and, and all the vineyards had already been planted and they were, they were going, he just gave those to his people and said, listen, remember me when those things happen. When you harvest the grapes and you pull in your first harvest that you didn't plant and you live in houses that you didn't build and you, you drink from wells you didn't dig, just remember me. Okay, he's not against any of those things. As we said before, you're not more spiritual if you have less and not less spiritual if you have more. You're more spiritual if you're more spiritual with whatever it is and less spiritual in relation to how you're dealing with it, however much it is, okay? But the thing about it is, it's possible that as we've studied the passages about giving and being th- that being the normal action of worship for all believers, through the setting aside and saving in proportion like we just saw, um, based on how you've prospered, and then giving that, knowing when you do that, it's a form of worship, and, and that God has promised to bless, and over and over in the scriptures. But maybe as you've read those things, see, as we went through those things, verse by verse, you can say, maybe you say, you know, I see how those things are true. It doesn't describe my life. I don't have anything to give, see. And so then the next couple of messages then are for you. Or if it's something like that, okay, these messages are for you to help you evaluate, okay. And, and, we'll, and this is a different type of message than we typically do where we just go verse by verse and we try to break it all down. We're going to go to other passages, but we'll still go verse by verse. But we're not tracking through 1 Corinthians 16 right now. And I want to look at some questions that can help evaluate what position you may be in from the Word of God. And, and, and today and next week, we'll really depart from then that norm that we have had. Uh, but since, you know, this study is going to undergird Paul's very simple and direct passages in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, I think it's very profitable for us to do it regardless of where you are. And if you're in that faithful pattern and you're giving out of how you prospered, and you're not using up everything that comes in and, and all those kinds of things, then this is just to be an encouragement to you. And perhaps a way that you can express it to other people and disciple them, okay? So, and, and this, this disclaimer, I'm in no way claiming to know every possible scenario that could be true for you, okay? It might be a combination of things that are dealing, it might be something not related in, in any way to, to a fault on your part. Like I said before, you may be just be going through a difficult time because the Lord's using you to make a heavenly point. So I'm not claiming to know all those scenarios. I just trust the Holy Spirit to do the job. He always does. And apply the word and apply these things. And then you wrestle with all of that as your spirit's open to hear his instruction. So here's the first question. You can find these in, your, in the back of your bulletin. If you're a note taker, um, it'll be helpful for you to do that. And I'm not sure where we are here. Okay, here we go. Here's the first question. All right, so your response then as you've read this all, and you just said, look, this doesn't describe my life. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm sure this is true from the word, but we don't have what we need. There's no way I can give. So here's the question. 
do you not have what you need because you're selfish? In other words, have you not been giving enough away so that, you know, the Lord's not able to bless you, right? And again, among other passages, we could use this, this inspired observation of Proverbs. Just keep your finger here because we're going to be all over there. And we looked at this before, but I think it's very important. Uh, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. What's it mean? Well, just in an agrarian illustration, there's somebody who gives out a whole lot more than they normally would or that the normal person would, and yet they don't have any lack. And there's one who withholds what's justly due, and yet it results only in want. In other words, there's someone who doesn't give what the, the bare minimum requirement that they should be giving, and, and you would think they would have more because they're just accumulating it and not giving out what they should give, and yet that's not the experience. See, It results only in want. Verse 25, the generous man will be prosperous, uh, and he who waters will himself be watered. So just a general observation that giving in the way the Lord has described it is a way the Lord can bless you. And so the question is, are, are you selfish? Is it because you don't have enough because that you're withholding what you're supposed to be giving and you just end up just fulfilling the per first part of this proverb? William Penn is noted as saying this, he that does good for God's sake seeks neither praise nor reward, but is sure of both in the end. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's it, isn't it? I mean, you give because the Lord has shown you what to do, and you're not looking for any kind of blessing. You're not looking for any kind of uh, praise or reward, but you're sure of it, right? Because the Lord's very clear about how that works. He keeps track of all this kind of stuff. And the one we looked at last week, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a uh, cheerful giver. So if you're giving it grudgingly, if you're giving it under compulsion, that could be why you don't have what you need, right? Because it is one of those... Uh, ways of giving that the Lord doesn't bless, okay? Uh, Jerry Fowler used to say this, which is, I don't think it's true, but he used to say this, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take a generous donation from a sore head. And of course, Jerry was in the process of raising money, and so he would say that, but I don't, I don't find that to be true. It was funny, and it always got a laugh, but I, and I heard him say it probably 20 times. If you've been to Liberty a long time, you've probably heard him say it a bunch of times before he passed in the glory. But the, follow, the fact of the matter is, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Did you catch that? I mean, if you're a believer, you're already in God's infinite love, are you not? And yet, Paul wanted to make sure he expressed this to you, that God loves a cheerful giver. So in excess of the way the Lord loves you already, he's particularly grateful and particularly glad that you are cheerful in the way that you give. Why? Because he gives that way, doesn't he? And the more you are like that, the more you resemble him. And then verse 8 says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you need, see... So that always having, here it is, always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So, love, loves a cheerful giver. He makes sure he takes care that you have all grace abounding so that you have what you need and to take care of every need. John Kinder, a good friend of mine who is with the Lord now, uh, was very instrumental in me being discipled. And when I was a young believer, he just kind of took me under his wing. He was a business owner in Tucson, very prosperous business owner. And he always would say little things to me. I loved hanging out with him because, and you probably know this, he, he, he was probably 30 years older than me. And he always, you probably have someone, I hope you have someone in your life that's like this, who's very godly and has lived a godly life for a long time and very, has that pattern. And he would always say things to me like this. He'd say, Kurt, and just out of the blue, I mean, we'd be on a mission trip or something like that. He goes, Kurt, never hang on to a dollar too tightly. All, the, all of them belong to the Lord. Just let it go if the Lord needs it. Or later he'd say, Kurt, always spend less than you bring in. You'll never lack for what you need. Just spend less than you bring in. And I told you before, Americans spend 117% of every dollar they bring in on the average. So just do the math. It doesn't take very long to get way deep in debt, does it? Spending money we, don't even, we haven't even made yet. The Lord has given us a certain amount to prosper us, and we're spending more than that amount. So not only are we not setting some aside, we're borrowing on what the Lord hasn't even given us yet and imposing on the Lord, hey, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm spending this much extra. Please make sure I don't lose my job. <laughs> Help us have a good month next month, whatever it is, see? That's not how the Lord wants us to live. So each wants to do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver, and he's able to make all grace abound to you always having all sufficiency in everything so you may be, have an abundance for every good deed. So connected to selfishness, you know, can be this idea that, you know, you may have that attitude because you're selfish. You're like, you know, I can't get over the inertia of not giving. I don't want to give this much away, see? And that's the idea the Lord wants you to overcome. And so that wrong heart attitude, because God loves a cheerful giver, find that in 2 Corinthians 9. And, and here's the deal. You know, when he finds a purposeful, cheerful giver, 
he is all about making that person have all sufficiency and everything. That was the whole point of the passage, right? An abundance for what? To hoard? No. Right? Having all sufficiency and everything so you can hoard it, you can get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can, so you can retire as early as possible to do as little as possible for the longest part of time that you can. Is, does that sound like anything that aligns with the scriptures? But if you watch Monday Night Football, you would think that that's axiomatic, right? I mean, retirement and retiring early and, and getting out of, from under any responsibilities that you don't want to do, that that would be the way that that's supposed to be done. Are you going to have enough? Are you going to outlive your retirement? You know, all these kinds of things. Now, you know, once again, I don't want you to think that I'm against that, saving for the future. That is part of the things we'll talk about. But I'm just saying that that being the main thing, just hoarding it, that, has, that doesn't find any, I don't find any place where that fits well in the scripture. So, and sometimes we don't have enough because in selfishness we feel to trust God to multiply it, right? I mean, how about Luke 6.38? Given, it will be given to you. They'll pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. And listen, beloved, the first part has to happen before the second part can happen. You have to get over this inertia of keeping it. Giving according to Paul, that's the normal action of every believer. All of you, he said, each one of you is to do it. And you got to get over that inertia in order for the second part to happen, see? So maybe you don't have enough because, you know, you... You're selfish, and, and you know you just you had this loathing to give in this way. You don't want to part with it because it is very important to you. See, it, so you don't get that all sufficiency for everything and abundance for every good work, and you miss out on that, and you don't have what you what you need because you've just kind of hoarded it. See, or maybe you did it with a wrong heart attitude, or you won't get you won't get into the first part, so you can't get into the second part. See, so you can when you can overcome that reticence to, connected with giving generously, sacrificially, faithfully in proportion, then the Lord can begin his part. See, he can be part of that equation where you have all sufficiency. It doesn't even make sense, beloved, and many of you know this. I mean, you give, you give generously, you give sacrificially, and you just like, this doesn't even make sense. I mean, we have what we need and more than we need, even though we're giving away more, see? And that's kind of how that works. The Lord works that way. Like I told you before, you know, we look at, we look at you know, income like, like a pie, we just, okay, there's only so many pieces of pie, we only cut them so thin, and then pretty soon we're out of the pie, but that's not how the Lord works that way. I like it. I like the illustration of a silo where the Lord pours in the top and you're taken out of the bottom, see? Now, it doesn't, di it doesn't disconnect you from Paul's instructions, what it, what it is. Set some aside and save. So you got to think through this, right? What's my income? What am I going to set aside and save? And how am I going to do it? And then the Lord then, in his sovereignty, is able to make all sufficiency abound to you for every good work. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. You know, this, this whole obedience thing, over and over. And these are passages, Psalm 1, 1 through 6, is a memory verse that I had all my boys learn early on, because it really deals with men. It deals with everyone, but it deals with men, and they can all recite it, and they can all recite it like in a sing-song manner by the time they're about four or whatever. And as they grew older, it became more important to them to kind of analyze it. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of the sinners. In other words, you don't listen to the input of the world, and you're not doing what the world says, and those who scoff, you're not part of that, that group, okay? Doesn't see, doesn't see the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, that's the right heart attitude, right? I want to do what the Lord wants me to do, and I'm joyful to do it, whatever it is, see? And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water. What's he like? A barren desert plant, like what I grew up with, you know, a Palo Verde in the middle of the sand? No. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. See, just over and over again, obedience, the Lord looks at that and says, okay, you know, this is great. Obedience always yields blessing to a greater or lesser extent, whatever it is, and, and that's the balance to discipline, see? It's, it's, this, it's this blessing when you obey. That's how we deal with our kids, too, see? It's the way the Lord deals with us. We deal with them that way. A lot of parents get into trouble because they just make their, their children's lives like a barren you know, wasteland. There's nothing there. And then when they, they, start, they get older and you, you can't spank them anymore, then there's nothing to take away because you haven't been the yes person like the Lord is to you. You've been the no person and you got nothing and now you got nothing to barter with either. See? The Lord blesses those who are obedient. We bless our children. When they obey and they joyfully obey, you bless them. And when they disobey and when they're little, they get a spanking. And some other things, you know, move from their life. That's how it works. And then they grow into people who fear the Lord 
and they fear you, and then they love you, and they respond, and they love the Lord, and they respond, and that's how we condition them to do that. The Lord deals with us that way. That's how we deal with others. Psalm 92, 12, and I'm giving you a lot of these because I just want you to have a real firm foundation. The righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He'll grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Of course, we don't live where there's palm trees, or, or uh, we've got cedars around here, but the bottom line is this. You know, this is just all over the scriptures. Obey, the Lord is very gracious to us see, in every area. And many of you know this. I'm not telling you something you haven't figured out already. Deuteronomy 7.12. And again, people are coming into the land. They're inheriting houses, fields, wells, you know, flocks, whatever. They didn't, they didn't do any of those things. They get it. And, um, and then the Lord's giving some instruction, and he makes sure that he understands this. And he says, then it'll come about because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them. So the Lord gives them some instruction, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, the Lord will keep you with his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. Now, we're not Israel, and we're not replacing them, okay? But the principles are the same. See, over and over in the word of God. He will love you and bless you and multiply you and bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and your grain and your new wine and, and your oil. Why? Because the Lord's in charge of all that, isn't he? And he's on both ends. He's on the early end. He's on the back end. Okay, and he can pay back any way he wants. Like I said before, it may be no trips to the dentist for a year. It may be, you know, you don't have any doctor's bills. He can do anything he wants. He can pay you back anyhow, any way he wants, right? The increase of your herd, the young of your flock in the land, which you swore your forefathers to give you, you should be blessed above all peoples. There'll be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. So he's just kind of confirming to his people, listen, just obey me. I, I'm able to pay you back. I'm able to take care of you. I, I bless obedience. The Lord will remove from you all sickness. He'll not put you on any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but he'll lay them on all who hate you. See, is it great? He can do what he wants, can't he? He's in charge of all those things. He's sovereign, and he wants people to obey, and he wants to do it because we love him and respond in that way, and yet, you know, um, still we, we resist and somehow think, hey, what? why don't I have what I need? Well, I don't know. It may not be this. Maybe it is. Again, not prosperity theology, just positive reinforcement through physical blessing given to those who obey. And, and the remedy to being selfish is just obvious, isn't it? I mean, respond to the Lord's instructions and give. Just think through it. What are you going to set aside? How much is that going to be? And it's based on how you have prospered, right? And then you set it aside out of circulation, you get it ready, and you give it. You know, committed, faithful, sacrificial, generous giving through the local church for the advancement of the kingdom. That's how God has picked it to be done, see? The New Testament model of giving is done in that way. Yes, there are other places to give, yes. But the model is that. Respond to the Lord's instructions and share. Respond to the Lord's instructions and meet needs. And we could go on and on from here, but I know you can see the point, okay? Question two, am I impulsive? Am I, impulsive? Am I selfish? I don't know. Am I impulsive? In other words, do I not have what I need because I can't resist any temptation to buy anything? See? Proverbs 21.5, again, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. In other words, you plan, right? You understand what a budget is, and you live inside of it, unlike our government, who just doesn't, a continuing resolution to spend more money than it hasn't even taken in yet, okay? Only the government can do that because of our pockets. We can't live that way, okay? And maybe you don't have what you need because that's how you're living. You're spending 117% of, of, of every dollar you make, and if that's what you're doing, you're not going to have anything. And the remedy to that problem of cost, you know, budgeting and planning and prioritizing, you know, and here's the deal. Let the spouse who is least impulsive handle the finances, okay? How many men learned that that wasn't them, okay? Absolutely. <coughs> Take time before you buy. Talk it over with your spouse. Have a brother or sister in Christ, you know? Talk to them about what you think they should do, you should do. Take time to seek the Lord about a purchase, you know? If you're impulsive, you're not going to have what you need. Try to avoid, and here's the deal, try to avoid places and situations where you're going to be tempted to spend what you don't even have, okay? Just avoid those places altogether, you know? Some impulsive people, they spend all their time at the mall, kind of walking around, window shopping. Well, that's not going to lead to anything good. If you're already spending 170% of your income, if on the average, and then you're walking around the mall, that's going to be bad, okay? Or for me, Northern Tool, I'm not going in there, Okay? Unless I have a little disposable income. It's not happening. I was talking to somebody the other day, and theirs was uh, Harbor Freight. All right? Not rolling in there. My son's like, what? We're going to Northern Tool again? Yeah, it's a great place, but not if you don't have a budget for it. Okay. Third question, am I lazy? 
do I not have what I need because I'm lazy? Proverbs 10, 4, and 5. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who acts shamefully. And this is tough, isn't it? Look at Proverbs 12, 24. Flip over there. I'll give you a chance to get there. We're going to be in Proverbs 12 and Proverbs 24, back to back. So look there if you would. Proverbs 12, 24. <coughs> the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 24, 33. I don't mean for you to um, just have to zip all over, but I think they're important. And if you're marking your Bible up, these, you know, you can put a big M right beside it in the margin or whatever deals with money. Proverbs 24, 33. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come on you as a robber and your want like an armed man. Now, my dad used to quote this to me, all right? He'd come into my room like at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. I'm like, Dad, I'm seven. You know? So it's one I've heard before. And my dad was a very diligent kind of guy. I mean, he was one of those, like some of you, you're up at 530. I mean, sometimes I talk to you guys, what did you do on Saturday? I slept in. Till when? Seven. Listen, in my book, that's not sleeping in, all right? Maybe it is for you guys, not for me. Okay? But this, this is, a, all joking aside, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Poverty will come on you as a robber. You want like an armed man. You know? And, and here's the deal. Our misused welfare system has really created a chronic problem in this area, hasn't it? It's just provided an opportunity for people to do exactly that without the accountability that we need. I mean, I'm not against uh, there being social services to help people. Listen, I'm, I'm glad they pay taxes. You're a single mom. You're, you're, you're disabled. I'm, I'm good with it. Okay, Whatever those taxes need to be and make sure that you're taken care of and the church is doing a part, I got no problems with that. What I have a problem with, with is driving downtown Lynchburg at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and there's 1,000 guys between 20 and 30 standing on the side of the road. That's a problem for me, okay? That's a problem. And I'm not just kind of making a general judgment. I'm just saying, listen, in general, you probably wouldn't have time to protest if you had a job. You wouldn't be tearing down statues in Charlottesville if you had to report to a job at 7 a.m., okay? Listen, a slack hand, you know, a mind that's not busy with producing something, you got all kinds of problems. But the fact of the matter is this. You could not have what you need because you're lazy. You know, the, the Lord told Adam, by the sweat of his brow, he would what? Eat bread, right? I mean, right from the start. Listen, Adam, I know you wrecked the world. Good job. But I'm going to fix it by my son. But in the meantime, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat bread. And that's not a bad thing. You know, Paul told Titus in, in, in chapter 2, verse 9, that hard work, I love this passage. We, we do it in, dis, in the discipleship that I do. This is one of hard work adorns the gospel. That's actually what it says. In other words, when you work hard for your employer, you make the gospel look good. You want somebody to listen to your testimony? Then produce at the job, okay? Proverbs 10, 26, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy to those who send him. It's not a stretch, beloved, to connect this problem with not having enough. The lack of desire to work hard will certainly make you poor. The lack of motivation to go and get something done and work hard, that's going to make you poor. You won't have what you need, okay? And the questions you can ask yourself, you, do you constantly put off things that need to be done? You know, when you're at work, here, here's the deal. When you're at work, do you only work hard when you suspect your employer is watching you? Listen, the Bible has all kinds of things to say about that. And that can be a very uncomfortable habit to admit, and many of you who are employers, you know exactly what that's like. You're paying a day's wage, but you're not getting a day's work. We were made to work. Ephesians 4.28. It's, it's a great illustration here. Speaking of the redeemed now, okay, and some, some perhaps used to steal from their employer or used to steal to meet their needs. Paul says this, he who steals must steal no longer. Okay, so that may be how you helped provide for your needs before, but now that you're redeemed, that doesn't happen. Catch this, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good. In other words, you were made to work, and when you come to faith, you should know that right away. Working is, way, is a way that you accomplish and adorn the gospel, and you accomplish a good testimony in the society, and you provide, listen, for those who have need. And that's the next thing he says. He says this, there's purpose, there's honor, and the immediate result of your work will be, what's it say at the end? 
that he'll have something to share with one who has need. Immediately, when he realigns the thinking that has to do with how you provide for your needs, immediately, right away, regardless of whatever the job is, you set, you're going to start setting some aside so somebody else who has need, you can meet it. See? Right away. First, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. That's a great passage. We're going to move on here. We'll run out of time. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's talking to the church in Thessalonica. And this was a giving church. This is the church that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Okay? So he's chatting with them. He's writing them a letter saying, listen, we command you, brethren. So this is not a suggestion. This is what you're to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, because the authority comes from him, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life. So in other words, you may be a hard worker, but you may be hanging out with people who aren't and just unruly, undisciplined. Let's just stay away from them. This is the brother, okay? So that means another believer who hasn't understood what it means to work hard and, and live a disciplined life. Stay away from them. And doesn't, they don't live according to the tradition which you receive from us. And then what he goes on and says what that is. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in a disciplined manner among you. So in other words, Paul was there. He says, you saw how we acted. And we know that Paul had the right to receive an income from his ministry, but he refused it so that he wouldn't have any criticism coming from these selfish Corinthians and some other uh, Gentile believers and some Jews. And so he just worked hard as a tent maker and then did the work of the gospel. And he says, listen, when we were around you, you saw what we did. See? We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we don't have the right to this. In other words, it's not because when we worked among you, we didn't have the right to receive the support we needed, but, he says, so that you would follow our example, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. So in other words, Paul says, listen, don't hang out with unruly people, undisciplined people who don't understand how to work hard and meet needs and all that stuff. Listen, we told you this already, and when we were with you, he said this, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not willing to, he's not to eat either. So it's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? So inside the church, this would be a pretty firm foundation for us to stand on, wouldn't you say? For we hear, Paul says, now I'm gone from you, that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. Again, that's exactly who Paul warned them not to hang around. Some of you are doing this, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. So in other words, there's some hanging there who are doing that. You're not to hang with them. And when you see them and in this letter, make sure they understand they're to work hard so they can provide for their needs. So how do we remedy this, you know, if, if, if it's, you don't have what you need because you're lazy? Well, realize that's a sin and ask for forgiveness. If you find that you're barely doing the, the bare minimum only when your boss is watching, listen, that's, that's not right. And you're not adorning the gospel. So not only are you sinning, you're creating a problem for the gospel, a block for people to receive it. Realize that hurts your testimony. Realize it keeps you in a place where God can't bless you. See? And then you're not going to have what you need, and this is not going to apply. You're not going to say, well, I understand this from Scripture, but it doesn't apply to me because I don't have anything. Well, that could be the, the case. So ask someone to help you manage your time better. Ask someone to be an accountability partner with you, and you can, you can start in that, uh, in that learning process, the discipleship process to change. Fourth question, am I undisciplined? Do I not have what I need because I'm undisciplined? And again, you know, these are, these, these interconnect with each other, okay? You know, you, 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 can, you can be impulsive and undisciplined. You can be lazy and impulsive. You can be selfish and impulsive, you know, or either one separately. It's all going to come to the same end result. Being, and, and I would just say being undisciplined just sums up all those other things, okay? If we see a, uh, if we see a, uh, a principle from the Word of God and we're not following it, then we're just being undisciplined in the way we run our life, and we're going to end up in the same boat. You know, the other side of that is willfulness. So undisciplined is just being willful. Okay, you see what it says, you won't do it. That's just a willful response. If you want to identify that trait, this is what it looks like. You know, this is someone who wants to live their life their way. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about it. It doesn't matter what they may see in the Word of God. They're just going to do what they're going to do, okay? No matter what the Word of God might say. Now, um, you know, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18, if you want to look there. Um, Proverbs and shame, uh, pro poverty and shame, rather, will come to him who neglects discipline. Poverty and shame comes to whom? Somebody who's willful, somebody who's dis, uh, undisciplined, somebody who won't. The same person Paul was talking about in, in the letter to Thessalonians. If you're undisciplined, poverty and shame are going to come to you. But he who regards reproof will be honored. 
He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So if you're just hanging with people who are just like you, and you're undisciplined and they're undisciplined, then you're just gonna, you're gonna come to ruin and you're just gonna suffer harm, see? And, and there are people who are, you know, who are in debt, and just keep getting in debt, and we're talking about consumer debt. Now listen, as a side note, um, contrary to what some uh, Christian uh, curriculum will say, the Bible does not forbid you to be in debt, okay? It doesn't forbid that. In fact, it has thousands of verses that deal with that. Dealing with the lender and the borrower. The lender is supposed to lend to other believers at no interest and look out for the needs of the borrower and in case he can't make what he needs to give it to them. And on the other side, the borrower is supposed to pay on time and not take advantage of the person who's lending. And I kind of wonder what the Christian community would be like if we actually follow biblical principles that had to do with there comes a time when you need to borrow. Okay, when you're borrowing a for a house or a car that you need or whatever it is, and you know these are these are great principles. The Bible doesn't forbid it. It says, yeah, the borrower is slave to the lender. That's just a general observation, and that's true, right? If you borrow something, you got to pay it back. Romans chapter thirteen says, pay it on time. It's your testimony. See, don't take advantage of the person who loaned it. So the the Bible doesn't forbid it, but what I'm talking about is just this kind of consumer kind of un unchecked type of charging things up. The hundred and seven, you know the $1.17 for every dollar spent, that kind of thing. Making the same mistake over and over again, refusing to live inside a budget, refusing to set some parameter or goal, refusing to say no, see? And the fruit of the Spirit is, is self-control, and self-control is really the remedy, isn't it? I mean, you've got the power by the Holy Spirit to say no to these things, see? And when it comes to finances, as with any other area of life that Scripture addresses, we have to be willing to change, see, and ask the Lord, okay, I need some self-control in this area. And self-control is the fruit of the Spirit, and I'd like you to begin to work that through in my life. Or as Proverbs 13 says, poverty and shame will come to you. See, and here's the thing. It's not going to come because you don't have good intentions. You can have great intentions, and poverty and shame can still come to you, see? If you neglect discipline, if you won't change, see, it won't be because you don't mean well. It won't be because you're not a nice person. You may be a very nice person. But if you reject discipline, poverty and shame comes to you. That's the way it works. You might not have what you need. Why? Because you won't, you won't submit to discipline. You won't have you know, uh, self-control. It won't be because you're not involved in church. You, you may be very involved, see? And then constantly at a place where you don't have what you need. Because, just because you're willful with money. Number five. And we're going to stop. We're going to stop with those because we're out of time. And I, I don't mean to go long. I think that... Um, I really do think with all my heart that these things are super important to the church, as uncomfortable as they are for me to say, okay? Because, listen, I mean, nothing I'm saying to you, I haven't said to myself over and over again. And, it, and to be transparent with you, responded badly over the course of my life sometimes and went through stretches where I was willful and where I wasn't thinking, you know? How many can think back, you don't have to put your hand up, I make you think back to a whole bunch of money you wasted over a, series, over a period of time in your life, and you wish you could go back and reclaim it. Of course, you know. So it doesn't mean that I've responded perfectly all these things. And I'm not saying this to you because I've arrived, okay? But like Paul, I can say, I'm not going to look there anymore. I'm going to look ahead, and I set my goal on the high calling of Christ, and I'm going to as best as my ability goes and the Holy Spirit can empower me, do these things. And so I'm giving them to you to say if, if your life doesn't line up with what we see as very basic principles from the Word of God as it deals with giving, then some of these things could be the case. And then you can begin to work on them. There's many here who can help you. And we have resources to help you do that where you can plan. And some of you have been in and we've gone through Money Maps with you and, and it's helped you. And we'll do that, okay? And there's other people here and you know who they are and you can ask them. If they're living a godly life, they walk with the Lord, you know, whether they have a lot or a little, they've learned how to live inside a budget, they have, they're able to meet immediate need, whether it's a large need or a small need, those are the kinds of folks you need to talk to. They've understood what it means to deal with money, to deal with material things in a spiritual manner, okay? So this last one, here it is. Am I indulgent? Do I not have what I need because I'm indulgent? Proverbs 21, 17, and 20. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not become rich. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. And really that deals with con just consuming everything that comes in. It's, it's what we talk about when, we, when people call in and need money, okay, from outside the church. Listen, if you just consume everything that comes in, 
then you're not going to have anything, okay? And eating out all the time, I mean, that's like, that's like a favorite thing for Americans to do, isn't it? I mean, it, it, and it's not bad. I mean, it's nice, isn't it, to go and have a meal someone else prepared? It's not a bad thing. But indulgence in that is a bad thing, okay? In the area of restaurants and eating out, that can bring you to poverty. If that's all you do, and you're putting that on the credit card, you don't have any cash for that, there's no disposable income inside your budget that allows you to eat out, and you're eating out, you fit perfectly in this passage, see? Not managing money wisely. In other words, large credit card debt on things like eating out and entertainment would show no, there's no, there's nothing coming in after that. You go and eat out, and it's $72 for your family. Listen, you got nothing to show for that. You're not buying a washing machine, and you're washing clothes later on with it. Okay, you got nothing. You ate it, you consumed it, and you created this debt, and now you're going to pay three times that amount for the same meal. Okay. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Not managing money wisely. Another passage deals with this. Look here, Proverbs 23, 20. And we'll close with this, okay? I had ten of these. I'll just get through five today. We'll get through the next ones next time, okay? So here it is. Proverbs 23, 20. Stick with me. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine. So that's just a straightforward command. That's those who practice drunkenness. Don't be with them. Or with gluttonous eaters of meat. So people who overeat. Those who overdrink, those who overeat. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe them in rags. So just a general observation. It has to do with this, this indulgence. A few ways that indulgence with wealth can bring you to poverty. If you're hanging with people like that, uh, that's going to be a very difficult thing to overcome. See, Planning, budgeting, here's the deal. Here's what we teach our boys as they get older. If you need to, use cash. That's what Laura and I did for years. We have envelopes set aside when we were, when we were young married and, and all the way through the ministry. This is how much I have for, uh, for gas. This is how much I have for entertainment. This is how much I have for clothing. These are, these are what I have for you know, the bills. And when that envelope is empty, beloved, that's the end of the spending in that area. See? And so you plan, and maybe that can help you. There's a whole bunch of ways you can be helped, but maybe that's helpful. You just use cash, you set it aside in an envelope, you know, whatever it is, see? Lots of scenarios, you know, lots of things you can do, but um, maybe that is a way that you can, you can uh, budget and, and not be reliant on restaurants. You know, and everybody knows this, everybody's busy, right? Plan your life in such a way so that you're not constantly relying on takeout to make sure that you guys eat. It's easy to say, oh, well, we're not going to have time today. We're going to have to pick up something. And that happens from time to time, okay? But if it's happening all the time, who's in charge of your schedule? Make your schedule different, okay? Make sure you have time to sit down and eat. Make sure you have time to prepare it at home. You know, for 20 bucks at home for a meal, that goes a long ways. You can't feed a family for 20 bucks anywhere, and there's no leftovers, okay? So, you know, it, just really simple stuff. And I realize I'm probably just, you know, I'm giving you stuff, obviously, that you know, but... These are the things that can help us if we're having trouble in these areas, and these scriptures do not uh, apply to you. So we're going to stop right there, and we will come back next week, and I hope it's beneficial to you. If there's things that I said that you didn't understand or it was, there was a question, if there's something you want more explanation on, I'd be glad to do that. Email me, text me, let me know the questions that you have. I'll put you in, char uh, in touch with uh, some resources or with people, whatever it is that you'd like. If things that we said resonated with you, you're like, yeah, I want to do this. Yes, I want to get that under control. Listen, those are good things, and you know, this is the reason why we're doing that. Okay? And so if your experience is not what we see in the scriptures, that you don't have enough for all, all the things that you need, that you don't have enough to give, uh, but, this, but Paul says, each one of you set aside and save and give, and it's, it is superlative, so it's everybody's supposed to do it, and you're not doing it, then one of these things could be the case, or you may be in a, in a season where the Lord's testing you, or whatever it is, you can still do it. You can, you can change your life and the way it works, and it can become part of your habit. And then the Lord's in the equation. He begins to be able to bless and supply what you need, and that's what you're after, okay? You're after him being in charge of all things, including this thing that we value so greatly, um, money. All right, let's, be, uh, let's uh, close in prayer, and we'll stop right there. Lord, I thank you today for this time in the Word. Thank you for... Uh, these folks, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the joy it is to, to learn together, to look at your word, to, to make changes, to uh, prioritize our life in such a way that we uh, bring it under your, uh, your provision and your direction and your authority. 
Lord, we know that you take care of all these things, that you give in proportion to your own will as you see fit. You own everything. Uh, so nothing, there isn't anything that we have that wasn't provided by you. And you do it in a bunch of different ways. You do it through uh, perhaps brain power that you've given us and, and an ability to, uh, to use our mind. Perhaps you do it through uh, an understanding of finances and investments and all that. Maybe, maybe you do it through, through, uh, through gifts from others to, to us, through inheritance, through, um, through insurance, through all kinds of things. You, you do it all kinds of ways. We recognize that your Bible, your word is very clear and it says that you own everything. So we just right away, we just say, listen, Lord, we, we agree with your word and we say to you that you own everything. And so whatever we have is a stewardship. It's been given to us from you. And for that, we will answer. No question. We can see that from the word. And, and that's really where we need to start. Father, I pray you help us by your Holy Spirit to do that. And then as we see that, then we can see, okay, uh, my life doesn't seem to align with what you say is the truth about those who, who faithfully give and are, are generous. And so I want to begin to change my life in such a way uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit so that I align myself in the way that your scripture says for me to do it. And in this particular, as we look at this over the next couple of weeks, uh, this dealing with material things in a spiritual manner. So that's our prayer to you, Father. We are grateful for you and all that you've done. We recognize today there are many, many thousands over the next 24 hours who will lose every single thing that they have. And yet, because if they're believers and you are their source, they are, no, they are in no jeopardy and in no peril and they have no less than they had before because you provide all those things and you can provide them again and you're not more taxed by a hurricane in Florida than you are by a thunderstorm in Appomattox. And Lord, we understand that you're able to do all these things and supply our needs uh, abundantly. You're at the front end, you're at the back end. So Lord, I just pray that even they in the difficult times will look to you as the supplier of all their needs and not in any way be shaken because of the difficult times that are on them. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.